This is Coda Radio, episode 186 for January 4th, 2016. Welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show, taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this year's show goes on. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week, like a robot, maybe a droid you might say, posted at his duty spot for thousands of years. Why, yes, folks, it's Mr. Michael Dominic. Hello, Michael. You will be exterminated. Your command. What is it? Your desire is my command. Something I am a robot. Like this is your podcast. You Tomo. know, Mr. Dominic, I, I got droids on the brain. Went and saw the Star Wars podcast. Not going to say anything more. Just went and saw it. Went and saw the Star Wars po- podcast. Jeez. Movie. Went and saw the Star Wars movie. Do you know they make movies, Mr. Dominic? The, the Disney uh, Corporation. I Oh, the Disney Corporation makes many things. <laughs> yes, they do. Hey, how was your holidays? Did you have uh, some good holidays? Yeah, I I don't remember. Oh, yeah, New Year's? Good. I stayed home. I didn't do anything. You know, Actually. you know that's uh, prudent. That's prudent cuz you got yeah. you got the police officers out on the road and they will give you tickets. So you never know. You never know. I uh I went all all about did all kinds of things, did some podcasts, did things like that. Uh but you know what struck me, Mr. Dominic, as uh, we approach now to 2016, we have many things to discuss today. Uh, yes. In fact, uh, we have an app apocalypse to discuss that is sort of revisiting a topic that I think, I think, we have not had the final word on. But after all of that, Mike had a chance to cover something that uh, in his blog that we completely forgot to discuss in last week's episode of the Coda Radio Program. So we're going to do a make good on that. And then I think we're going to change our tune on something that some people think maybe we've gotten completely wrong on this show. I'm not sure. I was listening yeah. to the, I was reading the podcast before we started. You know, and, and, and Chris, it is extremely courageous and brave for you to finally be sharing this publicly. I thank just you. Want to say. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for acknowledging that because this is hard for me. This is I hard know. for me. It, you might be ridiculed. Uh, you know, you might be called a hypocrite. It, this could be a very uh, risky thing for you. Then I'm going to get your opinion on Android going to OpenJDK. And we have a massive link dump from Chaotic Linux that's going to help you get smarter. Uh, so I was just talking with Mike before the show got started, and uh, about a couple of weeks out, uh, the, the episode that airs on the 25th of a Monday over at the jblive.tv. And uh, because the Coda Radio Show is live. Hey, newsflash, everybody. Did you know that? Did you know that the uh, Coda Radio program is live? He's a jackass. What? Wait, get out of here. Get him out of here. Uh, yeah, so next week we'll be here, and the week after that we'll be here. It's going to be regular, regular old show for a bit, but on the 25th, I'm going to be on the road, if all goes as planned, to head to Scale 14. You're, are, are you going to be at Scale, Mike? Are you, uh... No, oh, I, oh. I, was, I, I should have been at CES, but, uh, you know, pregnant wife, work. Yeah, you yeah. know, boy, do I know that one. I remember, whoo, you know what, three kids, I'm just saying. Let me tell you, that, that yeah. is a thing, that is a hard thing. Uh, and now Noah's going through that too for the third time. Oh Anyways, so I'm going to be on the road. I'm going to be on the road. We're going to have a special guest host on the week of the 25th. That's all I'm saying right now. But we're going to have a special guest host. I'll be stepping out while I'm on the road, and Mike will be joined 
by a very special guest host. So you guys can all stay tuned. Oh, can't, can't we just tell them it's Satya Nadella? Mike. Mike, we got to build the hype. We got to build the hype. We got, And I'm still ordering the ice bucket. I haven't got the ice bucket in yet. Because <laughs> he needs the smoke and the red carpet as he walks in. <laughs> no, the ice bucket challenge. Remember Sachi did the ice bucket challenge? Oh, oh, yeah, oh. Yeah. I, was like, I was like, what is he getting? Uh, like a dramatic <laughs> video entry? Or? Yeah, no, it's in uh, it's in his uh, runner. He has to have uh, steam in the room uh, when he sits down to host a podcast. Laser. Everybody I knows that, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've got one of those Christmas holiday laser projectors in the corner, and then I got an ice bucket with a fan. <laughs> you, know, you know what I'd rather have? I'd rather have like Bomber, but like when they black out the victim's name on a American, whatever that show is. With, with the horse uh, so you don't yeah, know Steve Bomber. But it was just like, developer, developer, developer. Oh, I think our audience would be too smart. I think they would know. I think they would know that was Steve Bomber. Well, once you started sweating through the blackout thing, it would really. <laughs> oh jeez, that's good. Oh, I actually my. love. I don't know why I went for that, but yeah, that's it's a cheap shot, but it's a good reference. If anybody's seen the bomber in public, uh, wow. Well, see, this is why you got to come to scale. You could just—you don't even have to have a talk. You could have a stand-up comedy routine where you just rail on bomber. I think it'd be a big hit with that crowd. No, no. So the reason I don't go to conferences, by the way, is you're not allowed to make fun of the people paying for the conference. There. Oh yeah, sure, sure. Uh, that would, yeah. For those of us who don't know, what is scale? Scale is the Southern California Linux Expo. Uh, it's been going on for 14 years, and it's it's sort of become uh, just because everybody decided the big Linux event. This is the one that bigger is, than Northwest. It's yeah, yeah, and really? and here's the other thing about it, and I haven't been to one yet because I I Northwest has really been my bread and butter, and it's right here in my backyard, and it's a great event. Scale, though, uh, it promises to also be a great event, and it, so there's a huge difference in the Linux world between expos and cons. And so, Scale is an expo, right? Or it's a, it's a, it's like a, it's like a community event. It's a fest. Whereas cons, LinuxCon, OSCon, these are more commercial. These are more big budget enterprise. People are there that know Linux, they know Docker, and they know scaling, or you know they know these bullet point words, but they don't actually know any of the community. Ad- they wouldn't know who Ian Murdoch is. They wouldn't know what the app dash git package manager is, right? So, they don't so know- they're yeah, they're commercial basically. It's, right. It's, it's, so scale right. promises to be the biggest of the community fest, like big okay. enough to almost be an industry trade event, small enough to be still a community fest. And uh, to sort of mark the occasion, Canonical is relaunching their in-person Ubicons. So they went, you know, they went to the online Ubuntu developer summits where they all did them through Hangouts with horrible audio. Yeah, that was not a good idea. Woo! Yeah, so now they're going back to doing summits, and awesome. they're doing their first their first one here, right? Uh, a big one that overlaps with Scale at Scale. So it's going to be like a concurrent track at Scale. You can go to Ubicon at Scale. So once once Canonical decided to do that, too, I just. I knew I had to go. I just I couldn't ignore scale anymore. So and I've been doing it for a long time because Linux Fest uh, is awesome. But I gotta right, get to now. I gotta do both. I gotta nah, do both. It's relatively local for you. Is that what four or five hour drive? Uh, it's about a nineteen hour drive. But when you're oh, pulling nah. when you're pulling or driving an RV, uh, you you gotta add a lot more to that. So it's gonna be about a two day drive for me. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Now, a two day drive isn't too bad if you're. If you're a road tripper, it's not, it's not so bad because, you know, you, you make the best of it. Like, I'm thinking about taking Highway uh, Highway 101, which literally runs 
along the coast of Washington, the coast of Oregon, and the coast of California, and then jumping over. I mean, it's like just the, take it all the way down. The entire way is ocean view. It's you know yeah. small little diners all along. It's just gorgeous. So I mean, it's a great drive. I'm looking forward to it actually. But uh, here's the thing: is Linux Fest Northwest was like what we go all in on, and we still want to go all in on. So we are asking the audience to help us fund scale by bringing back the limited run of the Linux Action Show shirts. Hoodies, ladies tee, and t-shirt. You can go to teespring.com slash last400. And if you're in the EU, it's last400EU. And they have a tote bag, too. You could actually order the tote bag in the U.S., which I might do, actually. Uh, anyways, so we're bringing these back, and I'm asking if you are in a position to buy one or two or even three. We've only sold 15, and I need to sell a lot more than that. I mean, we need to raise several thousand dollars, if possible, to help fund all of this. Uh, because we really want to be able to do this without having to uh, break the bank and have to pull back on our coverage in other places. So we would love your support. Plus, you get some great swag. I love these shirts. I have one. I have a black one, actually. Yeah, I have a, I have all of them because <laughs> they well, are really good. Uh, and I pay for them. I don't I don't get them for free. I buy them, too. Uh, so teespring.com slash last 400. Uh, we sold 15. Uh, and he, ideally, too, by the way, if you're going to make it to scale, these should ship in time for you to get them. Also, we have a promo code. Conference. Yeah, right. and, and then we'll then we'll know you. Last forty, if you want to get a ticket at scale, last forty, we'll get you get forty percent off. Uh, it, I don't know what admission is, but you get forty percent off whatever it is. So, yeah, it's funny. Um, this is not what we're going to talk about today, but no. the conference thing. I before I knew about the baby coming, I had a plan, Chris. I had a roadmap. I had a calendar of conferences I was going to this year. Yeah, I definitely can't go to two of them. <laughs> so, yeah, and so like, you know. Uh, the uh, the tough part there too is like it's really hard to gauge the impact on business because since it's never any, you know, it's funny, Mike is like I have gone to events that were just a, a massive, massive amount of commitment. You know, uh, had to do a bunch of coordination, train rides, all this kind of stuff, and I walked away and I went, hmm, I don't know if that was really worth it. And then a year later, a contact I made, actually two contacts I made. Totally, totally just like came through and paid off. And it's like, wow, if I hadn't gone and shook those hands and exchanged those cards. Uh, and not only that, but I also just met people that now when I go back and see again, like it's a continuing relationship that we're building. And like now I feel comfortable, like, you know, I can email Karen Sandler at the Software Conservancy and be like, hey, Karen, I was wondering. And like, because, you know, I've talked to her five times now in person, like right. I just am comfortable doing that now. Uh, and so there is a value that we, it's really, really hard to put a number on because, you know, it's, it's, a very, it's a very fluid, dynamic thing when you go to these kind of a conference or events. Yeah. Or I, mean, I mean, something I, I struggle with is basically all the big ones are in California with yeah. like two exceptions. So, you know, if you think about it coming from the East Coast, that's, that's a trip. Um, and it also, and I wonder how you feel about this. You know, Apple and Google now do like a lottery systems for Google I/O for their developer w events, yeah, right. Which is awful. Yeah. That means you need. To, <laughs> yeah. That means you need to wait to see if you got a ticket, and then book the hotels once they've already been totally you know, sold out. Right, because and, and let's be real here. The thing is, is if you're an individual dude or dudette or small small company, you're going up against massive dev shops that are that are comfortable preemptively buying tickets, preemptively buying right. rooms, they're comfortable like gambling that somebody or a, a large amount of somebody's are going to get those tickets. So they go ahead and buy all that stuff up. Right. And well and in the worst case, right, they don't get a ticket to the conference. They just send a sales guy and he hangs out at the bars. Really. Um I, I remember I I tallied up what dub dub would have cost last year and it was like five or six thousand dollars. It was 
crazy. Yeah, uh, and I I would say that's uh, that's pretty fair. Are you including uh, air flight and hotel? Well, I was going to get the air flight comped. So okay. that's a good yeah. point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But it would have been more. But. Yeah. So for me, it's uh, it is an interesting. Uh, so one of the things I'm trying to do with the rover is I'm trying to be able to work anywhere, anywhere. So that way I don't have to also take the hit, because what I what I can't do is I can't square the cost of going to the event with the cost of also losing out on productivity. Right. It's, it's just it's just too high. So the idea was was get a mobile office. Or in my case, a mobile studio, right? And uh, I'm not the first person to come up with this. And it, to to a degree, I, I think it worked pretty successfully. Uh, I think if you, you know, now I'm not saying you should do this, but I think, you know, somebody in your position could do a lot of their job from uh, uh, an RV or a trailer while right. while you're on a trip. But the problem is for you, that means coming from the East Coast all the way to California. Now, for me, it means it, a two-day trip. Yeah, for you, it would be a two-week trip. It seems a lot less feasible. Um, what I have found... If you're going to fly somewhere and you need to effectively work, uh, like Continental and American Airlines, if you're willing to spend more money, have uh, it's it's for either first class or just below first class. You can get basically enough to set yourself up with an office. The problem there is you're spending about thousand dollars on a plane ticket. Oh yeah, oh for sure. Great. So you know, short flights. Let's say New Jersey or Florida to either each other or you know. Even the Midwest, it probably makes more sense just to fly coach and, you know, read a book. Right. But Or listen to a podcast. Hello. Yeah. Listen to a podcast. Oh, of course. Right. But, you know, like New York to California or New Jersey to California, that's that's a trip and a half. That's about five hours. Yeah. It's a whole day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that is a, it's a big factor. And it's so funny that this is a topic you and I have been discussing is like, boy, what's the value to the business? Uh, and and what's the value of those connections and and how long does it take and and how many times do you have to keep going before you even notice, start to notice a payoff and how do you continue to justify that when life events like pregnancy and birthdays yep. come up and business events like client demands come up and staff issues it is it is really an interesting and complicated aspect of business that you don't even really get yourself into until you realize Oh, the next echelon for growth is me doing this, and this takes a whole new level of commitment that I never even found. Right. Well, well, then there's the whole aspect of like good conferences and bad conferences, right? There, there are. I mean, why don't we just go into this a little bit? I found there's like three or four different types of tech conferences. There's, you know, the big, big ones, right? Which it sounds like is effectively what you're going to. Um, community driven, but huge. Those are usually pretty good. But have you ever been to like the vendor-driven one? Like, oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. 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 I, I won't say name names, but I've been to a couple of those, and it's a sea of salespeople. Which, if your purpose to go to this conference was to grow business, you're not talking to anyone who can, you know, be useful in that capacity, right? Uh, then there's, yeah. of course, I mean, I am going to something next week locally at a uh, Bell Labs or what used to be Bell Labs. But you even, you know, even those little local ones. Sometimes you actually meet people that, that are, you know, in the field with you. Sometimes you meet a bunch of random salespeople who just go to every conference for everything. Um, and I, I don't know how to solve that. I guess I would say I don't know how to qualify a conference as worth going to or not, other yep. than the obvious ones like Google I.O., WWDC, right. You know, right? The ones that are so clearly for you. Um, Isn't it interesting the ones that you list as clearly for you are ones that are essentially vendor-run. They're just vendor-run 
uh, correctly for platforms that are just extremely relevant. Run, but, but the vendor is not competing with what I'm doing. Right. right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so let's say like an IBM conference might be a little scary for me because why would anyone buy, buy consulting from me? Right. When they could get IBM. Yeah. 400 IBM salesmen standing mm. here. Ooh, that just gave me chills right there. It gives me chills uh, when you say it. No, I, I will give credit to Oracle. They're usually not, I've been to like two or three of their smaller events locally. They're not awful with that. They'll, you know, it seems like they go out of their way not to overshadow, you know, small ISVs where IBM, my experience is just like, yeah, we sell consulting. That's what we do. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, I want to, uh, so I want to talk about, uh, this is interesting. We're talking about this now because people are going to be looking at this in 2016 as they look out at the year and events that are coming up. Something else that I want to talk about today is, I don't, I don't mean to overstate this, but uh, who just said it in the chat room? Arch Uber Valley just suggested as a title, One Language to Rule. Now, we've always talked about one language to rule them all, you know, all this kind of stuff that is never going to be the case because there's so many edge cases. There's so many specific reasons why one language couldn't rule them all. But is it possible that one language could get really damn close and rule 90%? Could one language maybe come close to ruling it all? Are you talking? Uh, Ah, don't say it. Don't say it. Don't say it. Because before we get to that, uh, I think we ought to talk about the the app Opocalypse. Before, yes, apocalypse yeah. now. Yeah, the uh, yeah, yes, yes. Uh, and this is an article over on uh, Ars Technica, and uh, is they say uh, that uh, it's going to have to go to web standards. There's currently a, a whole litany of problems with apps. The platform lock-in, of course. Updating apps is a pain, and users often ignore it, leaving broken, vulnerable versions long after they've been patched. Apps are also always a lot of work for developers. It's re- it's fairly uh, it's not fairly easy to write apps that are native on both iOS and Android, let alone Windows and BlackBerry. So the alternative? Well, crap. Use a web browser. That's right. Use the web browser. Updates HTML apps happen entirely on the server, so users get them immediately. There's no yep. window of vulnerability between release of a security fix and the user applying the update. So with a capable HTML-based platform and a well-designed program, it makes good use that makes good use of CSS. Problem solved. Currently, standards are advancing rapidly in the area of mobile web applications as part of the emerging HTML5 platform. The goal, backed strongly by Google and Mozilla, is for websites to be able to do anything that a native app can. If this happens, native apps may no longer be necessary or even desirable. Standard bodies have been hard at work developing interfaces to control graphics, device notifications, data storage, payments, GPS, compass, accelerometer, and other sensors. Forms, multimedia, and more and the W3C maintains a roadmap of the standard efforts developed and even recently completed. Among the efforts jump-started by the HTML5 apps was the future W3C web payments API standard that would define how web applications interact with mobile wallets and other payment systems. Obviously, web applications don't work when there's no network to connect to. A middle ground application called Hybrid addresses this but at a cost. Now, this is the part I'm curious to get your input on. Hybrid apps use native operating system web browser controls to open full-screen windows, but they look and behave like native apps, including requiring a download from an app store. Hybrid apps get access to the hardware features unavailable through the web through third-party tools, mostly based on Apache Cordova. Hardware supporting Cordova for iOS and Android is excellent but spotty elsewhere. So, web standards, and you use the gap, you fill the gap with Cordova, and maybe I'll just wrap it up before you jump in. Uh, he links to a few things that are in progress, like uh, 
initiatives for uh, web VR and other things. Your thoughts, yeah. Mr. Dominic? So, I mean, obviously, you know, I have a big investment in the hybrid app space, right? I think that's the most reasonable solution for the problem we're facing. Um, but I, w- I would caution that with a few things. One, people who've done Cordova, what we're talking about with modern hybrid apps are are a lot better and a little more, let's just say, performant than straight Cordova apps. So, so you're that. saying? Are you saying it's not your grandpa's uh, a hybrid app? It's, it, it is. It is not your grandpa's phone gap. Basically, it's not <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's what I mean. Yeah, but I, you know, just there's a couple things, right? The idea that native apps are going to die is a little silly. I mean, one, Apple and, and Google have an interest, particularly Apple, right, in making native apps as good as possible. Um, Apple really wants to differentiate from Android. And there's just some experiences that you, you're you better off delivering through a native app for a specific platform. That's true. I mean, do you really feel like they've hobbled Safari very much? I mean, they've they've in the past, they made the, the faster JavaScript engine not available to... Uh, standalone web apps, but Safari itself has sort of been fairly aggressive until Chrome Mobile really stepped into at, at pushing. You know, yeah, with iOS eight and iOS nine, they've they've actually been fairly cooperative with hybrid applications. I mean, I feel like, yeah, I feel like they definitely improved it with seven and eight. But even before then, they were some of the first to implement like the accelerometer and touchscreen stuff in in their mobile web browser before anybody else had it. I mean, they've been really I mean, at what point have they really hobbled Safari? Well, not at all, right? Their initial strategy was everybody would do HTML5 apps. Right, exactly. But I, I just want to walk it back a little bit because okay. the author of this article has set up basically three different uh, app development strategies. Totally totally server-side, um, let's just call them mobile responsive apps, right, even though that's, an, that's a simplification, where you're literally pinning, someone's home, pinning a web page to someone's phone for them. Historically, I can tell you lots of normal users don't know that they can do that, but there is a place for that, and that place is called the enterprise, mm-hmm. where where you're, the company is paying for the phones, and you preload that onto the person's home screen. Or even a moderately advanced user who wants to have like something hosted up on DigitalOcean or something, and they want to have a, their own admin right, panel but, pinned to their screen. You know, you're accepting a lot more limitations that way in terms of performance and uh, access to features on the device than you even have with a hybrid application. Um, there are pure native applications, right? Which I, I am working on, a, literally before the show today, I am working on a purely native Android application. They have lots of places where they make sense. Let me just name three real fast. Okay. You're going for a consumer market where you have competitors and this is something you want people to pay for. Native is probably going to give you a little more, a uh, little more flash, a little more flurry than you would have otherwise. Um, you are a small to medium business, and you're simply again buying devices for your employees, and you know I'm only going to buy iPhones. Well, maybe just going native makes more sense. Um, the other case is a little more fuzzy. It's you know if you're in a very competitive market, there is a small tax with hybrid apps. Uh, and, and, and a much bigger tax with those, uh, let's just call them mobile responsive apps, in dealing with new APIs. Let me give you an example. Where Ionic and Cordova might catch up with an API in a couple months. And, and to be fair, they, they do a really good job. They may even get you ready to go during the beta at some point. You know, if you're a native developer, you you can 
as soon as the beta is released, you can just download it, throw it on a device, and be good to go. And I can think of some cases where that makes a lot of sense. Let's say you're integrating with other hardware, right? Uh, you're in the fitness or health and wellness space. Probably native is going to give you some bang for your buck. So I also so that is from a from the uh, development centric standpoint. But if I look at it from a corporate standpoint, how much of it is? Well, this is what our in-house tool chain is. Uh, our in-house tool chain is to develop web applications. Uh, we want to make web applications for our clients, et cetera, et cetera. So we make web apps. doesn't really matter what's native or not. And, and how much, which we're going to talk about in a little bit, is we'll say we start developing Swift for the front end and the back end, and now when we bring in new devices into the enterprise, we've written our apps in Swift, and so we're just doing native apps because we're writing it all in Swift anyways, which could also be a possibility. What I'm trying to say is sometimes it's not even a matter of performance or look sometimes it literally comes down to well this is the house's uh tool chain and this is how we do things well i i would i would say a couple of things one a lot of uh, a lot of people i talk to and and a lot of our customers basically right are those type of enterprises that think you know maybe one day we'll take this in-house and you know we won't have to pay you a service fee basically right mm-hmm. uh, so you know that almost immediately excludes native but I would I would caution people. Yes, you know W3C, the standards bodies, the open source developers for, for these web technologies, and frankly Google and Apple, who are doing a lot of this stuff behind the scenes, right, are doing a really good job of imp- implementing a lot of interesting stuff just straight through the web page with those mobile responsive mm. apps. But you're probably not getting a good return on that. You're probably better off either dealing with the learning curve of going hybrid or just paying a shop and going hybrid. Because at the end of the day, what really matters is how solid is the end result, right? How, how does it feel on the phone? Even if it's an internal application, you want it to not be slow, because if all your employees are using it and it takes you know a minute to load, you have some serious problems. Or, I mean, Chris, we've been doing this for a long time. It may seem like a great cost-cutting move right now, right? But cutting yourself off from integrating with the device itself Probably not the way to go if you plan to support the software long term. Especially because uh, the competitive market dictates that these vendors keep busting out great new features that are yeah. going to require platform updates that is going to be, you know, that's where the money's going to be made when the margins are thin and uh, apps are a dime a dozen. The apps that can jump on those new platform or hardware features are the ones that make the monies. Right. Well, it- See, when you're when you're looking at an enterprise space, so it's more about maintenance. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just saying that's why it's very much a matter of right. what what is your plan? What is your because if if you're if it's if it's the tool chain and it's this what the house uses, then that kind of platform stuff, that platform lag, you know, that doesn't affect you. That doesn't matter to you as much because honestly, you're probably not even updating all the devices uh, when the new OS comes out and the new features are available, anyways. Yeah, I mean, so the way I tend to to present it to potential clients is it's a scale. It, think of it like a treadmill, right? You can go fully native. You are you're giving up cross platform, and you or you're you know doubling your costs, and you're running as fast as you can possibly go, and you're right on the tails of Apple and Google. It makes sense if you have high performance, or you need a lot of, you know, you plan to update to iOS 10 when it comes out, or you and you want every new feature, or you're you know you're doing something really intensive, processing intensive. There are very few and far people that I deal with that really need that. Um, but on the other side of the spectrum, 
I, I really can't recommend against the, the other extreme more because it seems like a good idea. It seems like you're going to say uh, the other extreme being just hosting it on a server and pinning it to the homepage. Y- you think you're going to save money, but every time I've had someone do this, like pass up on having us develop a hybrid app and, oh, we have an HTML developer here. You know, he's going to do it and we'll be mm-hmm. fine. Three months, six months later, I get a call back. Yeah, it's running slow, and it doesn't look very good, and my employees are complaining. Um, oh, and we want to do this stuff with the camera, and it doesn't work. And we need to, whatever it is, right? Mm-hmm. They saved a little bit of money, you know, a quarter before, and they've only, but they're going to end up spending it anyway, and they wasted their employees' time because by not at least going hybrid, they're boxing themselves in to the browser. And really, you know... Apple and Google just don't have any interest in making that a great experience. Yeah, and it, it just adds more complication, you know, right. and it, it essentially creates a runtime that uh, you're now uh, sort of behest to what changes they make. Yeah. And ultimately, Get the hell out of here. Get out of here. You know, ultimately, I think you, if you, if you want to be developing a mobile piece of software for your employees or, or for anyone, you kind of want some sort of application management infrastructure and you probably want it to be expandable for the future. And you may not know what that future is. So don't box yourself in. Hmm. Well put, Mr. Dominic. You know what else I'd like to say is something that's out of the box. That's DigitalOcean. First sponsor here on the Coder Radio program this week. DigitalOcean is simple cloud hosting. And you can use the promo code CODERDIGITAL. CODERDIGITAL. One word, lowercase, to get a $10 credit. Now here's the thing. Their rig starts at $5 a month. They'll get you 512 megabytes of RAM a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. You can get started in less than 55 seconds when you go to spin up your DigitalOcean rig, which, if you think about that, less than 55 seconds is probably almost half the time it takes for most virtualization programs, management programs, to even launch on your desktop. This is one of the best interfaces out there, folks. I mean, it's really good, and it's not just good for a website. It's good for all kind of virtualization management applications I have ever seen. It is a simple, intuitive control panel that is yet extremely powerful. You can get an idea by watching the animation they have on their site or go over and look at the features page of DigitalOcean. Go to DigitalOcean.com and just get an idea of some of the things you can do. So they've got a, uh, a new floating IPs feature, which is really great. I encourage you to go read about that. Support for team accounts and a very versatile API. All of that plus an amazing interface that makes it crazy easy to deploy one application or an entire stack. You can go from like a, an Ubuntu LTS rig with just the, with the, you know, on a base Ubuntu LTS rig, or you can deploy the entire stack, the LTS machine, the Apache, MySQL, PHP, or Nginx, the entire stack. They have Fedora, CentOS, CoreOS, Debian, of course, and FreeBSD available. One-click application deployments are great. Just use the promo code Coder Digital and get the $10 credit and try something. I've got BitTorrent Sync, SyncThing, OwnCloud, Minecraft, QuasalCore, Mumble. Uh, what else? What else? Oh, MB. Um, I feel like I'm forgetting something else. A stun server. Uh, I, I mean, just I got all kinds of things. I'm running up on DigitalOcean all the time. The value is amazing. And it's a really good service. The entire infrastructure runs on Linux. They have data centers all over the world, like uh, New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Germany, Toronto. I mean, they've really got it dialed in. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code CODERDIGITAL. You can use them as your back-end infrastructure. You can use them for testing, for learning. 
is really great. DigitalOcean.com. Just use the promo code quarter digital. Supports this show, keeps us going, and gives you a $10 credit. DigitalOcean.com. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. Thank you, DigitalOcean. Thank you very much. Just stroke it a little bit. All right. So, Mr. Dominic, I, uh, I was looking at a blog post you made over at the Buccaneer IO. You know, you heard, have you heard of Buccaneer IO? This is a website. Yar. Yar, yeah, it's a website you've got. Uh, and you did a, uh, like every great developer I know, a 2015 year in review on January 3rd, 2016. Well done, sir. Well done. I like that. That's nice. Hey, uh, I got those SEOs, and what do you want from yeah. me? Uh, and uh, there's some things that jumped out at me here in this. Uh, here's what you wrote. I'm just going to read a little bit of this, and I want to talk about it with you. Containerization has gained a lot more traction in 2015, and Docker has some serious competition in the space of CoreOS's Rocket. We've seen a lot of success using Doku, a Docker-powered open source, uh, P- pass in a box, you know, as a platform as a service in a box. It allows us to deploy our own pass platform complete with Git-powered deployment capabilities. Uh, back in my day, we would never have acronyms that long. Uh, and so uh, you also talk on talk about Swift for a bit. I want to I hold the Swift talk because I want to talk about Docker just for a moment on the show uh, because... This is something that we really should have talked about. This is our make good. We should have talked about this last week. And uh, I, before we go any further, the thing is, we talked about this a lot in episode 379 of the Linux Action Show, too. We went to LinuxCon, which was actually DockerCon. Uh, and it was all about Docker. And so as we are sitting here on a January 1st, 2016, it is hard to appreciate how big of a deal Docker was in 2015. Uh, and I didn't, I mean, even covering it in Coda Radio, Linux Action Show, Linux Unplugged, and TechSnap, that's the shows that we sometimes talk about Docker in. That's even, the best show. Uh, even, yeah, even, yeah, yeah, Alan Jude loves Docker, let me tell you. Covering it even in all of those shows, I still didn't really appreciate what a big deal it was until I went to DockerCon, and it was, oh, these are multi-million dollar companies, you know, like SAP, SAP, and... Uh, these are really huge companies that are developing massive projects around uh, Docker and containerization and managing those containers. And it was obvious to me that this was, this was containerization was going to change Linux server hosting forever. And it, it's there's nobody can talk enough about Docker. Ironically, we didn't talk at all about Docker last week. So I was kind of curious to pick your brain about uh, what 2015. Yeah, you know, really, because Docker just became a fact of life for me. I think. Yeah. Like, oh, we're doing a deployment. Okay, so it's in Docker. Great, bye. Yeah. Like, to the point of, I, you know, I've never, just in general, right, we've never seen a technology explode on the scene and get such a rapid adoption. Um, in what is a fairly conservative space, the whole deployment server. Servers, yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm pretty happy with it. So what, what, are you, what are your thoughts on Docker from 2015? Uh, well, uh, I mean, it, uh, it became Kleenex of containerization, for one. Uh, it became the TiVo of PVRs, and uh, I think it definitely, it definitely, I think it definitely peaked. Oh, I almost hate to say it. I almost, now that I'm thinking about it, I almost hate to say it. But uh, here, I think what's going, I think the concept of containers is pretty damn solid. And uh, I think what you're going to have are systems that run multiple types of containers. And Docker is going to be one more. Docker is going to be the most popular. Docker is going to be the standard for developing and delivering software. It's even going to be a way, I think, more and more 
for enterprises to demo software. So you go buy like an enterprise-grade piece of software, but before you buy it, they're going to give you a Docker container that you'll check out, and that'll be how you demo it. That all that I mean, that's going to be like the sort of like the the backbone of the container ecosystem, if you will. However, I think a lot of folks like uh, Buccaneer and a lot of internal IT shops and dev shops will just use different types of containers. I don't think it's necessarily all going to be Docker brand containers. I think it's going to be some of the canonical stuff. Uh, rockets out there. You obviously have FreeBSD jails. I think what what it was was containers were proven, and now 2016 is going to be sort of the refinement of well, which one is the best for your situation, and which 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 container implementation fits you best. And it's not always going to be Docker is the answer to that. Does that seem sensical to you? Yeah, I, I mean, I think containerization as a as, as a concept is going to catch on pretty strong, and it already has, right, in 2015. That was my whole point in that post. Uh, I would actually, I kind of have a different view of it. I think containerization is going to become an underlying technology, and we're going to have additional things built on top of it. For instance, the Doku project that I'm very heavily using, uh, which lets you use some of the power of Docker and containerization to effectively create a much less expensive Heroku in a box. That's how DigitalOcean does a lot of their one-click deployments. Yep. Um, You know, one thing that's interesting is you, whenever we talk about containerization, you start thinking about the client side. And that's an area where I haven't really invested in containerization. But I could certainly see a world where, you know, your your app is delivered, especially in Linux, right, where you have dependencies to worry about uh, a little more than you might, let's say, in OS X, is delivered on a container and you just you send the whole damn container to the client or to the customer. Oh, yeah, and, for sure. It's happening you know, it, now, but I think it's it, just going to become the standard in 2016. Yeah, I think it's pretty uncommon. I, I've heard of people doing it. I don't know that it's, um, you know, one big problem, a lot of the platforms I focus on, it really wouldn't make sense for. Um, but certainly, I mean, all of our Linux deployments are using some sort of containerization, and it's almost always Docker. Yeah, and I think Docker is going to just have to, I mean, I mean, it's got the momentum, it's got the mind share. It's just going to, I don't see how anything on the Linux side will be more popular than Docker. At this point, they they nailed it, and they got Red Hat to buy off, which was huge in 2015. I, they got Red Hat to ship Red Hat Seven with Docker 1.0. I believe that they preemptively labeled it Docker 1.0 just so that way Red Hat felt justified in shipping it in Red Hat Enterprise Seven. But that shows you how serious they were. And then LinuxCon, which is run and put on by the Linux Foundation themselves, decided to call it DockerCon. Well, if you think about it, they have uh, they have both Red Hat and Canonical buying in, which is huge. Yeah. All right, Mr. Dominic. Well, uh, so we've been teasing it all episode. There's something that we've both been waiting to talk about. i got to have maybe a little mea culpa on this. Well, Mr. Dominic's the one that almost unanimously had to cancel the show, middle of the show after he heard the news. Uh, uh, but the reality is, um, well, here we are in 2016, and things look a little different. But first, got to thank Linux Academy. And you could, too, by going to linuxacademy.com slash coders. Thank them for supporting the show for so dang long and coming into 2016 with us. And get the Coder Radio discount. Linux Academy is a training platform for you. It's built by people that genuinely know this stuff and are passionate about it. So they make good content. But not only that, they follow the trends like Docker and containerization. They make sure that they have the best material on it. They have instructor help available on demand. They have over 2,000 videos, downloadable comprehensive study guides, seven plus distros that you get to choose from, and the courseware automatically adjusts to those distros, and so, so do the lab servers. 
that you get to SSH into to do your work. They have graded server exercises. So you get your work evaluated while connected to a real server. Isn't that nice? While you log into a lab server and perform specific tasks, Linux Academy automatically grades your actions so you can see how well you did. And it's just part of the Linux Academy membership. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Go learn anytime with availability planners to make sure courseware that matches your busy schedule and nuggets so you can do deep dive into specific topics when you have time. And then full-on coursewares that breaks down the major topics that you've been hearing about or need to learn into hours and bite-sized chunks that you can actually understand. I've told this story often. But looking at Python and Ruby and their courseware on Linux Academy, I, I was able to make the transition from, there's this thing out there called Python, and I would like to learn it, but I, I don't know really what that would entail. And it went, it went from that to, when I have five hours, I can learn Python. That is really empowering. And that can make you a better worker. That can make you a better employee. That makes you make you look better on a review. That may help you land a better client. There's a lot of reasons you might be motivated to go to Linux Academy. So I want you to go to linuxacademy.com slash coders. They also have the whole Amazon Web Services stack. If you're getting into DevOps, they've got great courseware on you. OpenStack is their bread and butter. And they've even got courseware on PHP. Of course, they've got the Linux basics, too with in-depth resources, instructor help available when you need it, and a community stacked full of Jupyter Broadcasting members. linuxacademy.com slash coders. It is a great investment in yourself, and visiting that website supports the show. linuxacademy.com slash coders. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. And congratulations with over 2,029 videos. That is damn impressive. I know what it takes to make that. And that stuff, you know, is the kind of thing they're doing is much harder than what we do. LinuxAcademy.com slash coders. Big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Coder Radio program. And thank you to our audience for visiting that link so they know that you heard about it here and you appreciate them keeping us going. Okay, Mike. So, I mean, there's no other way to put it. Uh... They went open source in December, and uh, it's already gone nuts. Swift is going to be big in 2016, but I think it might be big for you personally, even though you've been doing Android development recently. What do you think? Well, one, not just doing Android development, just uh, on that. But, yes, so... That's true. I mean, you've been talking about Android development recently. That's true. I've had a... um, well, let's call it a swift change of heart. Oh, now, hold on. For those of you who haven't been listening for a while, we were doing our uh, WWDC commentary live one, one episode. <laughs> oh, it was bad. <laughs> maybe, it was... maybe we should do that again, because there's nothing like Mike was so pissed after Swift was announced that we basically had to wrap the show. We bas- yeah, I, I was deeply unhappy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we should do it live again this year. This was so oh, good. No. All right. Anyway, so you so when you say you've had a swift change of heart, what you mean is a complete and one hundred and eighty degree change of position. I mean, uh, like every good politician, I just change sides. <laughs> okay, continue, sir. Well, so so two things, right? One, if you really want to have another fun live show, we have to do Google I/O because I have a oh, feeling yeah. it's going right. to be that. You're right. Like, that would be good. You know, Apple's much more conservative now. I don't. I don't. Think yeah, you're right. Google I/O is yeah. probably more of a party, but Google I/O is so long. We'd have to like, cut it off at a certain point. We'd have to have like Red Bull ready to yeah. go. <laughs> Chris, 
I just don't care about this new CSS tag. I feel like I feel like a Google I/O, IO episode. If we if we cover the entire event, would be epic. But also, we would like completely exceed some people's bandwidth caps for the month. <laughs> Have to do it on video too. Just watching our faces. Yes. Fall. Yeah. Yeah. For exhaustion. <laughs> uh, all right. So Swift. You know, Swift has changed since it was originally announced, right? Uh, Swift 2.0 has definitely got a lot more more mature. The tooling has gotten a lot better. For instance, Xcode doesn't vomit every time you open a Swift project. Mm. That's a feature, though Xcode does frequently vomit anyway. Um, there is a lot of advantage in using Swift in certain situations. And I also, I mean, they, I mean, it's legitimate, legitimately, they delivered the goods. They delivered the goods. Basically, right? They fixed everything that was uh, buggy or incomplete about it. Now, not that, you know, not that it's perfect and not that it couldn't, you know, they shouldn't keep iterating on it, which they are, by the way. You can just look at it on GitHub if you want to know where they're going. Um, one of the, one of the biggest areas that Swift still isn't quite there for me yet is integrating, adding Swift to an existing Objective-C project. My point, though, is going forward, I think starting an iOS project that's native and not using Swift is a little silly, right? Because you're, you're skating to where the puck was. The signaling from Apple is pretty clear that they'll support Objective-C, but Objective-C is a redheaded st- second son who came home from school with a frog in his pants. Hmm. Um, Swift, actually Objective-C is more like the creepy uncle living in the attic. <laughs> he's still around, and every now and then he's guy you got to go to to ask a question about something in the family. Yeah, like, hey, Uncle... Uncle C, uh, what's up, man? Just call him, uh, just call him, uh, yeah, just, yeah, Uncle C oh, or uh, Uncle Ob <laughs> or Uncle oh. Scott. It could be Uncle Scott Forrester or whatever his name was. Oh. Forrestall. Oh. Or Forrestall. God, you can't catch a break. Uh, you know, that there is value in Swift. Now, the value is basically speed of development and speed of, um, not compilation, what's the word I'm looking for? Process speed. And obviously, honestly, you, you kind of want to go where Apple's going. You don't want to be hanging on to your life vest. You know, it's been a year, right? If Swift was going to go away, it would have already went away. Uh, let's not even talk about Cocoa Java. You know, Apple usually doesn't um, doesn't let things go for this long, throw so much marketing behind them, and then kill them, right? Oh yeah, also, it's not going anywhere. This is a long-term thing. Also, it's now open source, which really, and, and I wonder if I didn't convey this well in the article, really is a huge advantage and probably more important even than the fact that Objective-C is probably going to get marginalized over the next five to six years. Um, you know, it's not just Apple deciding what's good for this language anymore. It's the whole open source community that's interested it's the potential for Swift on the back end and having a full-stack Swift deployment, which right now, crazy, but in a year or two years, there may be a reason to do it. I'm, right? I'm astonished at the adoption I've seen uh, in the open source community. I, I, I today, before the show, because I figured we'd be talking about this a little bit, did some casual Googling, and I saw dozens and dozens of Linux-only projects that are integrating 
like they're they're creating Swift libraries. Uh, so uh, what was uh, one of them was like the uh, the Bluetooth stack, the Blue Z stack uh, for Linux. There is now a uh, Swift library, so you can just call to that for uh, you know a Linux. And they're and and the idea what they're creating are Linux powered iBeacons where people can write Swift applications and have like little Raspberry I, Raspberry Pi iBeacons. You know Apple's uh, location technology. So these are going to be like yep. brew your own iBeacons running Linux with the software for it written in Swift running on Linux. And this is, these, these are already open source projects that are well underway. And uh, it's kind of genius, actually, because iBeacon is a pretty solid technology. And if you could have open source code using an open source programming language running on an open source operating system, that's one of the more viably trustable beacon platforms out there. Yep. And ironically, it'd be Apple's. Uh, and so uh, when I was looking into this, it seems to be there is already quite a bit of momentum and adoption just on the Linux side alone, which uh, in Linux Action Show this Sunday, I said is going to become the uncomfortable reality by the end of 2016 for a lot of Linux users. Well, I, you know, I think the, the biggest strength it has is, again, being open source. I think it's going to be a serious player on the field just for general languages. Not even, you know, general languages for iOS, general languages for OS ten. It's going to be you know, I, I hate I hate to throw some some uh some mud the Ubuntu way, but a, a Swift with some sort of UI toolkit, as the person in the chat room's mentioning, and I'm gonna steal this from him now, but make it more negative so he didn't say this. With some sort of integration to GNOME or some other UI toolkit, would be a much, 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 much stronger development platform than what it is currently offering. Well, um, hold on there. Just give it a pause. Yeah, that does make a lot of sense. Hold on, you just kind of went roboto. So I'm going to uh, hang up on you and call you right back because I don't know what happened. Again. He doesn't love me anymore. Oh, actually, you sound okay now. You Bam. sound okay. Boom. All right. See, yeah. Little... Who would do that though? Who's who's incentivized to create this magical uh, UI toolkit that would uh, be able to use Swift on GT? Like, who's going to do that? Nobody, and I can't, because I've had the same thought. It seems obvious, right? But the, the issue is, I can't think of anybody except for Apple, and Apple doesn't care about Linux apps. There's nobody that has any oh, interest in I, that. I, 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 would, I would caution that. I mean, who gave a crap about running .NET on Linux years ago, right? Hmm. In terms of mono. Okay, okay. I okay. think someone's going to do, oh, by the way, there was a thing that used to be called OpenStep, or GNU-Step, rather. <sighs> All right. Okay. Yeah. All I, right. I, okay. All right. Point well made. Point well made. You got me there. You got me there. That that there is probably somebody, and they just because they can, <laughs> just because they can, and because you know who you really don't don't write your GUI apps on Python. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's still gonna happen. Uh, or Lua. Hello. Hello. Lua's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I would actually like to see it too. I mean, I Scrazer in the chat room, and I, I'm just being I'm just being kind of like a, a bit of a troll because I actually would like to see it as well. You know, if you're gonna, if you're, if it's gonna be out there, and people are gonna be writing it. I want those applications available on Linux just as much as any other as any other platform. So I'd like to see it. So how for you personally is it gonna be big? Are you gonna start? So because of this, are you just gonna start making Swift a priority when you're doing iOS applications? Like, how does this affect you personally? Yeah, we already have actually. So oh. any, any, anything greenfield that's native iOS only is Swift. That's it. Hmm. Um, anything cross is, is usually Xamarin. I mean, not Xamarin. Whoa, def it's definitely not Xamarin, I'll tell you, I'll tell you that. Yeah. It's Ionic. Yeah. Um, and Android is still Android, right? So it's yeah. Java. Yeah. But, 
yeah, there, there's no file new Objective-C projects happening, and they haven't been happening for a while. <laughs> okay. Speaking of Android, uh, you tweeted, uh, what was it, um, the 30th. Uh, Google confirms next Android version won't implement Oracle's proprietary Java API, switching to OpenJDK. Any kind of like off the cuff impressions or thoughts about this? Does it to you imply that uh, uh, Oracle kind of has won? I mean, it just seems like a great way to avoid a lawsuit again, right? Well, for sure. Right. I think I think what's interesting about this news story is it came as a code dump initially. Uh, somebody yeah. noticed a big code dump, posted on Hacker News, and then people started poking through, and they're like, "This has got to be." a sign that Google's kind of throwing in the hat on the Oracle lawsuit. Why, why keep fighting? Yeah. It also it does scare me for one other reason, though. Oh? I have this sick suspicion that Google's going to come out with some alternative to Java for Android fairly soon. Well, a lot of people have been saying it. I mean, what, and, you know, why not have it uh, with Dart or Go? I mean, or, you know, whatever. I don't know. I mean, let's uh, let's have fun here and uh, do something yeah, new. I mean, I, is anybody still using Dart? Well, I think... I think Google does somewhere. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, because you know, Google is the uh, is, is the creator of Angular JS, and they don't seem. I mean, it what works. about Go? What do you think? You know, what if what if I, I think Go is solving a different problem, right? Go Go yeah. is uh, speed on the server. Come I don't on, man! Go... Like, can a guy dream though? Like, uh, what are they going to do? Use Swift? <laughs> oh, now wouldn't that be a kick in the face? They would not use Swift. They do a fork. They, they they do a fork. That's what they would do. No, I, I would say Dart, but I kind of feel like they took Dart, buried it in the desert somewhere, and were like, yeah, yeah sorry. Yeah. Well, Micah, 68 in the chat rooms, he's, he's research, researching Dart for a personal project. Don't. Just wow. don't. Well, let us know what you think. Go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact or, or. go to radio.reddit.com. Same goes for TypeScript. Which is where uh, Chaotic Linux went. He went to coderadio.reddit.com, and he submitted oh. programming books from Santa. And he has a massive uh, um, a link dump here. And you don't have to be a Reddit user, or you don't have to know anything about Reddit. If you just listen to this show and don't ever use Reddit, you can still follow this link, because it's just, it's just a list of links, guys. Uh, Raspberry Pi user guides on there. Learn OpenGL, learn Ruby on Rails, Ruby tutorial, fundamentals of Python, Python programming. This is really a great list. The Linux command line, the Linux development platform, the black art of programming. Why Rust? Hey, there you go, Rust, guys. So that's a great list. So big thank you to Chaotic Linux who posted that uh, a few days ago, and uh, I just kind of caught my attention, and I wanted to give it a shout-out because uh, I think that's a really amount, a nice amount of effort he went to to post that there, and that's a great resource for the Coda Radio audience. If there was a topic you wanted to hear discussed on the show, you could also submit it to coderadio.reddit.com. Mr. Dominic, is there any other business you want to attend to before we get out of here this week? No, I would just uh, say, Chris, again, I love you, man. I love you, Mike. I love you, man. Happy 2016. Oh, my God, it's a new year. And don't forget, we're going to have something fun coming up uh, later on in the month uh, when we got a special guest host in, and you can support our efforts at teespring.com slash last400. Go chuck, go check out Mike over at Buccaneer.io. we got a link to his 2015 in review, a much expanded blog post over there, more than we talked about in today's episode. You can also find him on Twitter and me. we got links to that. And uh, we also appreciate you joining us live over at jblive.tv, Mondays, noon, Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. All right, everybody, thanks so much for tuning in this week. See you right back here next week. <laughs>